Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of scripture that helps us to understand who you are, who you made us to be, and your plan in this world, that we could partner with you. We want to align our hearts with you. And so as it pertains to prophets and prophecy and that aspect of scripture, we pray for greater understanding from your word. So help us, we pray, and we thank you that you will in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, just a real quick review We've gone over a couple different things as we're talking about the prophetic ministry and the prophetic gift. Now, I know people always want to get to the practical side of what this looks like. Ben, let's just get to the stuff and let's just prophesy. But the problem is, is that we've got a lot of crazy charismania in the world today. And if we don't have proper theology, what we have is charismania. And charismania is sort of like WrestleMania, not real bad picture in your mind. A lot of kooky stuff out there, and it's not based on scripture. And you know what? Deception is right around the corner if we're not certain of what the Bible teaches. Amen? And that's why we live based on the authority of scripture, but a lot of people don't know what the Bible says about some of the things that they even practice themselves. And so it's easy to just veer off. So we don't want to do that. That's why we want to stick to thorough teaching on this. That's why I wrote a book about it, because I've seen a lot of crazy out there And so I started with sharing with you my story, my prophetic journey, and why this matters to me. That was session one. And then we went into the definition of prophecy. I wanted to make sure that we understood and we're all on the same page of what prophecy is and how to understand Bible prophecy versus New Testament prophecy that the body of Christ will share with one another, which we will get to in later weeks quite extensively. And then last week, I talked to you about how everyone can prophesy. And the whole point of that, I know it was thorough and probably beating a dead horse, but the point was to make sure that we all understand there's a massive shift from the old covenant to the new covenant. And that really is our theology of the Holy Spirit, that for those of us who believe in Christ, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And that being the case, that means also, based on Acts chapter 2 and many other passages in the book of Acts following the rest of the New Testament, we can now not only be filled with or indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit, which means regeneration, we're made alive, we're born again, but we can be baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we're baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to live as a witness unto Jesus. And that's where scripture starts to be fulfilled in our lives. I just want to make it very clear again. You and I cannot live out what the scripture calls us to without the same power that Jesus said we need both in the times of the Bible, but also today. If we don't have that power, we're not going to be able to live out scripture. All we're going to do is feel guilty after we read the Bible because we're not going to be able to do what it says. And so we need to understand being a witness of Jesus requires the power of Jesus. That was what last week was about. And from that power comes the gifts of the Spirit that are released. So that what we see about in the Old Covenant among a special few is now available to sons and daughters of God. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's really awesome news. And so God will release those gifts and those ministries into our lives. It does not mean, though, that everybody is a prophet. 
And it does not mean that everybody is prophetically gifted. And I will describe all of that in the days to come because the scriptures speak to that quite in, in quite detail, or in a lot of detail. So I want to make sure that we go over that. But I don't think that we can understand the prophetic ministry of today unless we understand the prophetic ministry of yesteryear, right? So this is why we've got to make sure that we understand what a prophet is. And so tonight I'm going to talk to you about Old Covenant Prophets. Prophets of old is what the title in the book is. And then next week, I'm going to talk about New Covenant Prophets. Are there still prophets today? The answer is yes. Has their role shifted and changed? Absolutely has, based on, of course, Jesus coming. So I don't want to go into that, but make sure that you're back here next week because this lesson tonight really makes a lot more sense when you put both of them together. And then after that week, I'll do one on false prophets because it's really important to understand what a false prophet is, what false prophecy is, what's the difference between somebody missing it when they prophesy. Because there's been a lot of that lately, if you haven't known. (laughs) I just read another one today about somebody prophesying stuff back in March that did not come to pass and nobody said anything about it. So that's not going to happen here at our church. We want to make sure that things are accountable. People do make mistakes. But what's the difference, right, between a false prophet, false prophecy, and somebody that just made a mistake or thought they heard God, and they didn't? But I don't want to steal the thunder of the coming weeks. So let's talk about Old Testament prophets. This is so, so important. Now, as we look in the Bible, and I think you all know this, But as we study scripture and we just simply look at uh, all of the prophets in the Old Testament, you need to know that there are many prophets that are mentioned in the Old Testament. These are Old Covenant prophets. And so we see this. We know that the the primary Hebrew word for prophet in the Old Testament is the word nabi. It can be said different ways in different terms. And this occurs more than 300 times from Genesis to Malachi. So we're talking about a lot of references here. And this word generally means, for the English word prophet, it generally means an authorized spokesman. This definition, it's quite broad, right? And I think there's a reason for that. Sometimes when you have a broad definition, um, there's an importance behind it. And I think the reason that the definition is quite broad is because you have to encapsulate so many different types of ministries. In other words, there's not one prophet in the Old Testament that was the same. Not, not one of them that had the same ministry, the same, necessarily the same level of authority. And so they did different things. They had different messages. They had a different scope of message. Some of them are referenced and not necessarily their words were referenced. And so an authorized spokesperson is really a good general broad definition to kind of encapsulate the diversity of ministry that we refer to as a prophet. But here's the deal. When you take all of the different words that are associated with prophet, and by the way, I'm just summing up like 100 verses right now because we would be here for a long time if I didn't. I will reference some and then others I'm just going to sum up. If you consider all the various words associated with and including the word prophet, there's words like seer, watchman, prophet, prophetess, and sometimes you'll see this terminology called man of God. And almost always, that term, almost always, is a reference to a specific prophet. So instead of saying prophet, for some reason it will say man of God. That's what the reference was actually speaking about. But when I took all of those terms and I labeled them to specific individuals, I came up with 40 specific people that are referenced in the Old Testament 
that we call prophets. If you just call them all prophets, 40 different individuals. But there are hundreds. I mean, there's one reference that says that there were hundreds of prophets that were hidden in a cave. Hundreds. So when you think about how many people are referred to as prophets in the Old Testament, we're talking about hundreds or more. But specific references, there's at least 40 that I could find. And I challenge you to kind of go through it yourself, although it's an arduous process. So I caution you strongly as you break open your concordance. It takes a long time to do what I just said. But in addition to these references, you'll see other terms like company of prophets, schools of prophets. You know, have you ever heard of like a school of fish? (laughs) It's really not, uh, honestly, the term there when it says schools of the prophets, it's not necessarily talking about like training institutions. It's talking about the company. It's talking about several prophets that were together. There are eight people in the Old Testament identified as a seer, and of those three, Um, Of those, three of them are called as prophets. Now, here's the thing. The word seer in the Old Testament, it refers to somebody who beheld a vision of God. Now, here's the thing. All seers were prophets, but not all prophets were seers. A seer was somebody who heard or they received from God specifically through visions. They were all prophets. There is no specific role called a seer. Sometimes there are books written about the seer anointing or the seer role. That's not a real thing. The anointing can be a real thing because they behold visions, but it's not a separate role. It's just a prophet that actually sees visions. So whenever you see that kind of theology, it's actually not a good, um, it's not a good way to explain it. In fact, if you look up 1 Samuel 9, 9, it says the very thing that I just told you. It's not a separate role itself. It's just a way somebody receives. Now, an Old Testament prophet is very similar to like the White House press secretary. That's my great illustration. So the Old Testament prophet is similar to the White House press secretary, and here's what the White House press secretary is. They are a senior U.S. official who oversees all communications of the executive branch and acts as a spokesperson on behalf of the president across all media, print, broadcast, and internet channels. And communicating his or her own thoughts is not a luxury that they have. In other words, they're a person that communicates on behalf of another. Now, I'm not downing our president at all. I'm thankful. I pray for President Trump. But I think it'd be really hard to be his press secretary. There's <laughs> a lot of prayer for her, you know, because it's just tough. He's communicating all the time. But anyways, it's one of those things where your role is actually to communicate on behalf of someone else. And you have to be really careful not to share your own opinions and your own feelings and thoughts, right? And so you can understand this is actually very similar to what it would be like to be a prophet. Think about the relationship that you would have to have. If you were the press secretary, you'd have to be in the company of the president. You'd have to hear their thoughts. You'd have to be in the briefings. You'd have to ask them tons of questions. You'd have to make sure that you gleaned out of them their feelings and their thoughts before you went out and stood in front of the public because you're quoting for, you're speaking for the highest office in the, in the land. That's what an Old Testament prophet was doing. They were speaking for the Lord. So they had to have a kind of relationship with the Lord that the Bible actually talks about several different times, and I'll reference to you. Now, the book of Exodus, I think, contains a passage where God gives a level of definition to the role of a prophet as he commissions Moses and Aaron to stand before Pharaoh. It's kind of a weird passage, but I'm just going to use it to prove a point or even just kind of further define this. So here's what it is, Exodus chapter 6 and verse 28 through Exodus 7, 1. And it says this, Now it came about on the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I speak to you. 
But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. Park right there. I know this is sort of like my little nerd tendencies. But in the book of Acts, it actually says that Moses was a man mighty in deed and speech. So my personal opinion is, is that Moses developed a stutter when God called him. And we've never done anything like that before, but that's my personal opinion, all right? So there you can just park on that for a second. But Moses says, I'm unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? And the Lord said to Moses, see, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. And so here we kind of see the relationship that is needed in order to communicate on behalf of someone else. God uses the term prophet. Moses says, I can't stand before Pharaoh. And then God says, fine, I'll actually use Aaron. I'll speak to you, you speak to Aaron, and Aaron will speak to Pharaoh. You see how God accommodates us? I'm not saying that you should try this kind of thing with the Lord. I'm just saying it's interesting to me how it works and how loving and gracious God is But that's what had to happen. So Aaron had to have this relationship with Moses. Are you sure that's what he said? Are you sure, Mo? Is that really what he, I mean, he had to be really tied in and make sure that Moses was conveying accurately what God said and that he would do the same thing to Pharaoh because here you have this trickle-down effect. And so what we know is that a prophet is one who speaks on behalf of another and they are authorized to do that. That's what an Old Testament prophet um, truly was. And so prophets of the Old Testament, they're very diverse. Their calling, their message, their audience may be different, but their source is always the same. Now, what I want to do, giving you that definition, I want to just walk you through some principles about Old Testament prophets that I think will help us to understand in summary what they do, and then it will set us up to understand the difference for New Covenant prophets. So prophets of old were first called by God. Now, it's really important to get this because today, sometimes I think it's kind of interesting how some people want to be a prophet or an apostle because we like titles, and that's what we think of. In fact, that should be a very scary thing because there's not one person that you'll find, as far as I know, in the Old Testament that's so desired to be a prophet. I think there's a few that wanted the anointing in the New Covenant but they were rebuked for it, you know? So there, it's like I can't imagine a Hebrew boy or girl growing up going, I just want to be a prophet. You won't really find this. A prophet had to be called, commissioned, anointed by God to be his spokesman. And many prophets were persecuted in the harshest of ways, some even to the point of death. I mean, we can reference very, all these different people. Je- Jeremiah is one that comes to mind specifically. He was exiled. He was imprisoned. He was tortured. This is Jeremiah 11, 21, 18, 18. In Acts chapter 7, verse 52, listen to this. A disciple named Stephen, he boldly questions the Sanhedrin by asking them, which one of you, uh, which one of the prophets did your fathers persecute? Why would I bring that up? Because it was clearly known in their culture that people in the past persecuted the prophets. He was actually indicting the Sanhedrin saying, your fathers did this very thing. We know that people persecuted the prophets. So which one of your fathers did it? I mean, he got stoned to death though is what happens to this guy. And he's saying that to them because it was known that the role and the calling of a prophet was something that could end in their own demise. They might become a martyr. Nobody wanted to sign up for this job. This isn't something that you wanted. It wasn't like you'd get the title on a business card. I know it's kind of popular today, but 
it's sort of odd when you think about it and read the Old Testament. James chapter 5, verse 10 is another example. We read prophets were an example of those who were patient in their suffering as they spoke in the name of the Lord. That's what James 5.10 says. The prophets were patient in their suffering. This is why nobody would sign up. They didn't want the rejection, the ridicule, the suffering, possible martyrdom. It's important for us to know, like, we see the calling of a prophet truly emerge, um, not just in the moment where Samuel is raised up as a prophet. There are people that are called prophet before him, but I believe the successive line of prophets begins with Samuel, and we see that in the book of Samuel. You look in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 20, or sorry, 20 and verse 21, we read how he presided also over a group of prophets that are referred to as the company or the schools of prophets. Now, Samuel was called by God as a young man. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3 that the Lord began to speak to him. And it says that in that day, there was a famine of the word of the Lord. And so God raised up Samuel, and it could be said, I would maybe presume this, that the priests were corrupt. And so at that time, God raises up prophets, and they're kind of like another mediator before God. So you have prophet, priest, and king. And so as God raises up the prophet, and they already had the priest, it was almost like these ones would not become corrupt based on the politics and some of the other duties that other callings had to maintain and walk out. And so this is really an interesting calling when you think about why God even needed the prophet, what he called them for, what he wanted to use them for. It's something to be thought through, but being identified and affirmed uh, by other prophets was essential. And that's why when we see with Samuel, he is like the one who begins the successive line of prophets And somehow there was probably training and instruction. There was actually a couple cities that were identified where prophets were known to be there. And I just want you to think about that for a minute. God establishes the prophet in Israel to the point where people knew that they had prophets and it says that they would go to the seer. In the Old Testament, this was actually normal. It wasn't weird. It wasn't strange. It was actually a normal thing for them to have prophets and seers. In fact, the king would have prophets and seers in his own courts. And so he had his own prophets. Some of them we see later on in the life of Israel as, the, as history unfolds, they had corrupt prophets. They had false prophets. They had fake prophets as well. And so they would say peace when it was really a time of war. And this is something that God himself corrected and, and dealt with. Now, there are some exceptions to people following this successive line of prophets. Namely, we're talking about Samuel and those who followed him. Like, if you look at the story or the life of Elijah, he just shows up. I think it's 1 Kings 17, and he shows up and he prophesies this drought. Nobody has ever heard of this guy before. We don't know who his father or mother were. We have no idea where he comes from or whatever, or if he's even connected to the prophets, as a son of the prophets, anything like that. He just shows up and starts to prophesy to King Ahab, which was not a smart thing to do. He probably would die. And so he's a very courageous prophet. And there's another man named Amos, and Amos was not a prophet of any pedigree of any kind. In fact, when God called him to prophesy, he says in Amos 7.14, he kind of rebukes Israel. He was a herdsman and he was a grower of trees. He, He was the one who looked over an orchard. And God gave him some extensive prophecies that he would give. And so my point is, is that typically prophets would come from 
sons of prophets. They had the successive line. They had company of prophets. There were cities where they were identified and affirmed and all of that was going on. But occasionally God would raise up another one just as he saw, saw fit. And so this is kind of interesting as you reference all of these different passages about prophets throughout the Old Testament. What, what am I doing? I'm just trying to say, number one, prophets were called by God. And he was the one who chose who and when and how. And they needed to be affirmed almost all the time, but there were exceptions to that. The second thing is people didn't sign up for this calling. It was something that God designated, something that God called people into. They were highly persecuted. That's why you needed to know that you were called by God. You were going to potentially lose your life. Many of them did. And so they needed to know the calling of God on their life if they were going to go through all that they would. Jeremiah was a teenager, and the Lord called him to be a prophet to the nations. You read about that in Jeremiah chapter 1. It's obvious from Jeremiah's response that's not something that he wanted, nor did he seek. He's like, I'm just a young man. I don't want to do this. That's sort of my version of the Bible. And there were many that didn't want to, to do what God had called them to. And, I, and I, want, I want to insert partially the reason. Sometimes we look at Moses dialoguing with God, not wanting to do what God called him to. I, w- I want you to think about why. Potentially because he was going to die, and he knew that. It, it wasn't like it is today, where sometimes in our world, Pentecostal charismatic world, or I'm not assuming that on you, but I think that people want to be the man or the woman. They want to be like the anointed one and travel the world and prophesy. It's like kind of strange. But see, we're just messengers. If, if, if that's the calling that you have, you're just the messenger of, an, of another. And I, and I think that if we're going to understand prophetic ministry of today, we had better understand prophetic ministry under the old covenant because that's what they knew. In fact, they wouldn't even sign up for something like this. They didn't want it because they knew that it might be their own demise. Lord, call me to this if it's your will, but like you need to affirm that this is what you want me to, to do. God called prophets to be his mouthpiece And they were not necessarily leaders of the people, nor always received by the people. Their prophetic role often caused them to be isolated from politics and power that so easily corrupted those with position and status to lead. I want you to think about that. Their role sometimes referred to as watchmen. They would see and they would hear and they would communicate that with the elders and the elders had to make decisions based on what the prophets would say. So their role wasn't always to make the decisions. They were just the ones that would speak for God. And then the blood would be on the hands of the leaders at that point. And this is what we see again and again. And God didn't always allow them in leadership because he wanted them to stay out of any corruption, which we obviously see did happen in the priesthood again and again, right in the very genesis of the prophet's call, starting with Samuel. And so they were called upon to carry the pure word of the Lord, which would range from affirming a decision to go into battle, pronouncing judgment upon a household or a nation, Prophets needed to know they were called by God because this could take their life. Another thing prophets were is they heard from God. Old Testament prophets heard from God. They were mediators between God and people, just like prophets, priests, kings, and judges, right? So you have these four different leadership roles that God would use and anoint them specifically, give them an assignment, and call them into his ministry, They had various things that they would do, these different ones, but prophet was one of them, and they had a special role to receive revelation. They had a direct relationship with God. In those days, people 
Common people didn't have a relationship with the Lord. They didn't receive from the Lord. It was an exception to do so. There are a few exceptions in the Old Testament where you'll see just a common person without any assignment, role, or anointing receive from the Lord, but it's very few and seldom. So there was a separation between God and and the people until Christ came, which we're going to go over. And I always want to jump ahead, but I won't. But it's important because you might remember we talked about in Acts chapter 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit, and Joel chapter 2 was evoked, in a sense, as the explanation for what was happening on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter says, this is that. It was already prophesied hundreds of years ago, what you're seeing right now. And he was saying the Holy Spirit was being poured out, the anointing, just like we see the Hebrew mind, they understood what that was because they had known that the anointing would come upon people in, under the old covenant, prophet, priest, king, and judge. They, they knew what that was. But now that it's all of a sudden for all, what are you talking about? Anybody who calls on the name of the Lord can receive this anointing, they shall prophesy. Interesting, right? They shall prophesy. Young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. But under the old covenant, that was just the prophet and occasionally these other leadership roles. Moses led the people of Israel through a 40-year journey in the wilderness and hoped that they might enter the promised land one day. But his siblings, Aaron and Miriam, who assisted him, right, they came to a point where they were very unhappy with their brother. I don't know if you remember this, but they began to question his leadership And this brought a clear and unequivocal response from the Lord in Numbers chapter 12 and verse 5. And here's what it says. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. (laughs) I don't know what it'd be like to be there. When they had both come forward, he said, hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Watch that right there. God says, this is how I communicate to prophets. I speak to them in a vision. I communicate to them in a dream. Now, I'll talk about this in just a moment, but not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, or another translation say face to face. Exodus 33, 11 says face to face like a man speaks to a friend. Moses had a very powerful, special relationship with the Lord. Even openly, not in dark sayings, he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against him? Now, there's a lot of context there that I could give you about this scenario. But my point is that God himself says, I speak to prophets in visions and dreams, but not with Moses. I speak to him face to face. Why is that important? Well, we'll talk about that in just a second because Moses and Abraham were the two among other people named prophets that did more than just prophesy. They established covenant as well, which is quite a bit different, and proves my point that prophets in the Old Testament had a range of calling. They all did not do the same thing. So when you say a prophet in the Old Covenant, we're not meaning the same thing entirely. They all had different roles. They all had different message. They all had a different scope of message. They all, some had messages to specific people. Some had messages to a nation. Some had mes- messages to many nations. Some had messages about the coming Messiah, the first coming, the second coming, Amen. You follow what I'm saying? God called them, gave them a message, and those things varied, and so their anointing varied as well. And my point is Moses had a different, um, he had a different calling as a prophet than these others that God himself is even referring to. 
In addition to this, God communicated to several prophets through a direct word. I've referenced this before, but I just want to make mention of it now that I'm on the topic. 1 Kings 18.1, we're talking about the prophet Elijah. And this is what it says. It says, now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the face of the earth. Now that has a deep context, but I'm just bringing it up to prove a point. It says, the word of the Lord came unto Elijah. This repeats itself many, many times. The word of the Lord came to the prophet. What what do I mean by this? This was most likely a direct and audible word that came to somebody that we call a reference as a prophet. Why is that important? Because that definitely changes in the new covenant. The accuracy level that was necessary for prophets in the Old Covenant was specific, especially for those that were either writing books of the Bible or referenced in the Bible. The accuracy had to be 100%. God sovereignly watched over that accuracy. Why? Because it was going to be in the eternal word of God. I'll talk about that just a moment as well because that's really important. So regardless of how it came, we know the exact wording Uh, So the prophet could articulate the prophecy, had to come with complete accuracy. Now, there also, there were some prophets that in the Old Covenant that established uh, covenant. And I mentioned this already. We're talking about Abraham and Moses uh, specifically. Now, God established covenants through specific people. If you don't know what a covenant is, just the definition, it's a binding agreement between two or more parties containing requirements or conditions. And God would use people to bring about his covenant or to establish covenant. We know that because people wrote the scripture and they did that through the Holy Spirit. And also they encountered God, just like Moses did in Exodus chapter 20. He encountered God, God gave him the law, and he brought that down to the people. It was inscribed by God. Why is this important? It's important because Moses was the bringer of the law. God was the giver of the law. So Moses brings the law, and he establishes the covenant that God gave with his people Israel. This is obviously going to lead us to Jesus, how Jesus is the bringer of the new covenant. Jesus is the prophet who was to come, prophesied about in Deuteronomy chapter 18. All of this begins to make sense and unfold. Abraham was mentioned as a prophet, Genesis chapter 20 and verse 7, but you don't see him giving any prophetic words, do you? There's really not a time that you can reference that I'm aware of in the Bible where Abraham prophesied, like God gave him a word for somebody or something, and then he said it. He was just a prophet in that he was the mediator of a covenant, Abrahamic covenant. And then Moses, the same thing. You don't really see anything other than scripture that God gave to him. I mean, he certainly wrote that out, and there, that could be called prophetic, obviously. But he's referred to as a prophet in Deuteronomy 34.10. So they received very unique callings, underscoring what I'm saying. So I'm just trusting that everybody's following me. This is good stuff, and it's all important based on the foundation of what we're talking about. And why is all this important? Well, it leads me to make this comment, and I just have a a couple more things to say. And the first one is this. Prophets of old wrote scripture, all right? But here's the thing. When you talk to people about Old Testament prophets, The assumption is that every prophet in the Old Testament wrote scripture. I've actually heard people teach this and reference it. This is so fundamentally not true. I mean, some prophets in the Old Covenant wrote scripture. Some did, but not many. 
If you think about it, there's very few that actually did in comparison to those that were referenced. Why is that important? Because if you were to think about prophets in the new covenant, or if there are prophets today, which I'm going to argue that there are, especially next week, then we need to know that as we transition to new covenant prophets, as opposed to old covenant prophets, we cannot divide them by saying all old covenant prophets wrote scripture. It's not true. Only some did. And so some of the prophetic ministry of the Old Testament actually translates into some of the prophetic ministry in the New Covenant. But if we have such a divide between Old Covenant and New Covenant, and there's no functionality that transfers or transitions into the New Covenant, we're going to miss some of what we need to glean out of the Old Covenant and the calling and the role of prophets and prophecy. And so this is really important that we understand that. So traditionally, there are prophetic books in the Old Testament that are divided between major and minor prophets. And these de- designations are distinguishing specific prophets and their scope of, uh, or length of their message. So there's three major prophet books, right? And these are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Some people include Daniel and Lamentations, who was most likely written by Jeremiah. So that would be five total, depending on where you come from in your school of thought. But at least three, maybe five. And there are 12 books that are referenced as minor prophets. So the function of writing scripture is actually an important distinction, right, between Old Testament and New Testament prophets. I've said that. The writers of the New Testament, none of them were prophets. Now, they were apostles, and they were companions of the apostles, and then there's a few unknown, depending on, again, what you think about some of the writers of the New Testament. But here's the thing. No prophets in the New Testament wrote scripture, none that are referenced. Some people in theological camps will say that the apostles were prophets. Now, that's the re- part of the reason they say that is because they receive revelation from God himself. So they say, well, the apostles are the prophets of the new covenant. I don't believe that. I think that part of that is like a conveyor belt leading all the way to the fact that there are new, no prophets today. That's really what they're doing. They're trying to make a case for saying there are new, no New Testament prophets, no new covenant prophets. So they do that by saying, well, the apostles were the prophets of the new covenant And there are no more prophets, so after them. Because the assumption, and follow this, the assumption is that that they wrote Scripture. So if the apostles wrote Scripture, that makes them prophets because all the prophets in the Old Testament wrote Scripture, right? No. No. See how that falls apart right there? No, I mean, I was reading a book of somebody. I won't name them because if I name them, then I'm kind of bringing a critique to them. And uh, there's some good stuff that they wrote, so I don't want to do that. But this was their theological perspective. And I was like, how could you say, you're so smart. How could you say that? That's totally not true. My gosh. Just writing you an email. Didn't get an email back. It's terrible. But the point is, is like, if you, if you make a claim right over here, and you build a theology over here, it's based on this claim. You see what I'm saying? And so when you now have this developed theology, there are no New Testament prophets, and it's based on the fact that you think all Old Testament prophets wrote scripture, you, I mean, of course you're going to end up in the wrong place because you started with the wrong foundation. There are, there are hundreds of prophets referenced in the Old Testament. Many of their messages are not even referenced or talked about. It just says they did prophesy. So here's what I believe, okay? We've talked about how First, Second Peter chapter 1 how Peter references when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he said he saw Jesus in all of his glory and it makes the prophetic word more sure that they, saw, that they saw Jesus in all of his glory and they said that there is no prophecy that is of anyone's or human interpretation. What is he talking about? He's talking about prophecy that was written down. 
There is no prophecy that is written down, biblical prophecy, that was brought about by the will of man. It was brought about by the Spirit of God. And so he's distinguishing prophetic ministry that was written down, that was written for all people for all time, and those that were just given to a person, like a prophet gave a word to a family or somebody in the city or something like that. There was all kinds of prophetic ministry that was common, that was typical. Some of it was foretelling, speaking about what would happen in advance, and a lot of it was foretelling. 75% of it was foretelling. But because when we reference prophets and prophecy, we tend to think of people that wrote scripture, we tend to think of Daniel and Isaiah, and that's a terrible comparison, by the way. I would rather compare myself to the person that's name I can't pronounce and it's barely mentioned and doesn't have any recorded prophecy. I'm like, that's me right there. What's his name? Edo. <laughs> that's me. I'm Edo. <laughs> Is there really a prophet named, it's probably not the way you say his name, but it's I-D-D-O. You name him, I'm sorry. That's my point, though is that we get it wrong, and this is why... Now, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I've gone through so much pain in conversations talking about this kind of thing with people who already assume that they know what they're talking about, but the reality is they don't. And so then when they look at charismatics or they look at Pentecostals and they say, how can you guys prophesy because you have to be 100% accurate? And they have no distinguishing. They have no distinction between a prophet who wrote scripture that God sovereignly oversaw to make sure there was 100% accuracy and somebody that just gave a forth-telling word that praised God and gave them encouragement. They have just no distinction at all between the two. It's that if you're a prophet and you have to be in line 100%, 100% accurate all the time. Now, I'm not trying to say that inaccuracy is is what we want, but I am saying that a lot of forth-telling speaking from the heart of God is going to include a lot of mixture. Now, if you, this, is, this is my theological perspective. I think that a lot of prophecy includes a lot of human element, except for that which is written down for God's eternal word. Just like teaching. Up here, I'll make a lot of mistakes. You'll see it. It'll happen. It could be grammar. It could be presentation. It could be that I said a joke the wrong way and it didn't hit when I wanted it to. In my presentation, there's a human element, but I'm handling God's word, right? So I'm trying to convey what it says, but the human element that's there. Prophecy has that human element. And what we're trying to do is not necessarily dictate each other's lives. And that's what, when we are confused about what prophets and prophecy is, that's where we end up, confused. And there are a lot of people that try to control. It's like, you know, 1-900-PROPHESY. Call me and I'll give you your, predict your future. That's not the New Testament prophetic ministry, right? That's called a charlatan. (laughs) Don't give them your money. But do you see how the theology actually matters a ton? Because people will accept and receive certain things because they don't realize that the Bible actually has a different house of theology that's built to understand this stuff. And, and it, it, I'm just going to say it like this. We've got to dig deeper. I, I, I know, I'm going to go off for a second. Here we go, okay. So we're so conditioned by devotionals. We're so conditioned by what we can get out of the word. I just want to get a little bit more food today, a little bit more encouragement. 
we've got to go back to building a robust, solid, biblical groundwork, theology that we can stand on as the people of God. You, you can't just get a little bit of food and thrive, right? You have to have some good meat. I mean, we're all, any of you are fasting right now, yes, it's true. Why did you ask me not to eat then? No. You, you, we survive and we thrive when we have good, solid food. Amen? All right, so think of that spiritually. We thrive, not just survive, but we thrive if we have good spiritual food. I had somebody in my office today, and they said, I don't understand the Bible. And I said, amazing. All we got to do is just apply a little bit more of our energy. Now, listen, we all start out not knowing Scripture, all of us, me, you, everyone, and we will forever be digging into the depths of God's Word. But I'm telling you, in this day and in this age and in this generation, we've got to go back back to mining God's word. And we've clearly proved that we can do it because Americans spend two hours a day watching television, so we got the time. All right, we got the time, but it's where we are appropriating the time, and that really speaks to the solidness of our life. Now, if we know more about sports than we do about the Lord, we've got to change gears a little bit, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just telling you the truth. Don't get mad at the preacher. I'm not saying we can't like sports. I'm not saying we can't watch television. But at what point have we made a conscious decision to be so entertained and not strong in God's word? When a storm comes, goodbye. And then we will medicate with the thing that is entertaining us, right? Entertainment detains us from entering the thing that God's called us to. You know what I'm saying? How much do we need? Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry, I went somewhere. I don't know how to get back to where I was. There's nothing wrong with devotionals, but at some point we've got to realize that the Bible wasn't written for us just to get some principle every day to feel a little better about myself. We're building houses, we're building cities, we're building a nation, and it's going to require a whole lot more time, effort, energy, and strength if we're going to do this right. We can't just get a little devotional anymore. I, we are going into some days where we've got to hear what I'm saying right there. I'm not, I'm not necessarily trying to command anybody in this room, but I feel the way that I'm preaching right now. I feel the need to go deeper in God's word. I feel the need to be deeper in prayer with God right now. And if you don't, I'm promoting it to you. There is something that changes your life. There is something that strengthens your life. There is something that sustains you in the storm. There is something that is a foundation regardless of what happens to you and to me. And it is the word of God. But the problem is that we've been so conditioned by the environment that we've become weak. And we don't know why we've become weak because we've allowed our mindsets to be conditioned to what the word isn't rather than what the word is. The word, the Bible says, was written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Welcome to the end of days. How strong is the foundation that we have? You know, read your devotionals and, you know, and, and we got to get, you know, so... There are so many people, there, and, 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 and I'm a charismatic, I'm a Pentecostal, 
Because I see in the word, the baptism with the spirit. I see in the word, the gifts of the spirit are still for today. That's why. But there is so much foolishness in the charismatic camp. It drives me insane. And then if you try to discern anything, it's like you are a critic. You're a skeptic. No, we need to have our biblical thinking cap on. That's what the Holy Spirit wants. This nonsense has got to stop in the charismatic camp. I mean, I'm taking a hard right if this stuff keeps happening. I'm going to stay true to the baptism of the Spirit. I'm going to stay true to the gifts of the Spirit. But I don't want the foolishness, and I don't want my kids thinking that's normal. We've got, I mean, we're trying to build legacy and generations, and we're trying to see something happen. I mean, I don't know if it... it, it, it oh, I'm <laughs> just talking to myself here. I got to stop. I got to pivot. Where was I at? I was talking about prophets of old wrote scripture, all right? And so when we know that it was just some prophets in the Old Testament that wrote scripture, we understand that some of the prophetic ministry translates while the rest does not. There is something that doesn't cross from Old Covenant to New Covenant, and that is the writing of Scripture. So now we know that the Scriptures has a certain place in our lives that prophecy does not have. And when we get to talking about prophecy, we will understand that there's a human element. And so when people say, you need to be 100% accurate, we want to be 100% accurate, but we also understand that prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. It is not for dictation and is not for specific direction that we would control one another's lives. That's not what prophecy is. And it makes more sense when we get what it was and what it was for some instead of just for all. You guys follow me or am I just... Going down the rabbit hole. I haven't grabbed the rabbit yet. I haven't even found the sucker. My gosh, is he pink, white? I don't know. I can't find this guy hopping all over the place. All right, last thing I want to bring up. Prophets of old called God's people to action. This is the final thing that I want to say. It's common to hear that Old Testament prophets were mad, sad, and angry. People tend to say this uh, because they see the warnings and the corrections and the judgment to God's people and the surrounding nations. And so they, they tend to think, man, the Old Testament prophets were really angry. And here's what I believe. I believe that people think that Old Testament prophets were angry because they believed that God was angry. I think that the messenger is simply just that. He's conveying a message for someone else. So if you think the prophet was angry, it is probably because you think the God that he was speaking for was angry. And I think the issue that we have is that we don't see the love, compassion, mercy, grace of God in the old covenant when we ought to. And as we study the scriptures, you can't help but see that God was a God of mercy, but his people were obstinate. His people were rebellious, and they needed people to call them back to righteousness in what God said was right and true. So prophets were raised up to bring God's people back to covenant faithfulness, and they were preachers of righteousness in their day and in their generation. They weren't just those that foretold the future. They were ones that reminded God's people of what was true and what was right. The prophet's job was to name sin because people forgot what right and wrong was. 
And so they called out the people so that they would repent before discipline and judgment would come. Second Chronicles 24, 19, this helps us to understand this principle. It says, yet he sent, God sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. Though they testified against them, they would not listen. You know what that passage shows me? A loving God that tried again and again and again, and then we killed the prophets, is what it says in the New Testament. And what we were doing to them, we were doing to God. I don't want your message. I don't want your gift of repentance. Friends, when we look at Jesus and what he went through, he had to die because we were so rebellious. We would have done the same as those did in the Old Testament. We so needed someone to take our place because there was no way that we were ever going to fulfill the righteous requirements of the law, period. We've never done it, and we will never do it. So when God sent prophets, it was his last resort. They were the men at the back of the line saying, send them in. And God would send them in, and the people would do to them exactly how they felt about the God that they were speaking for. And isn't that what we did to Jesus? We fully manifested the very murder that we were committing in every prophet's life that was ever taken before Jesus. And that's what Jesus actually says in some of his parables, that he sent his servants, and then he finally, what did he do? He sent his son, and they killed him too. We killed him too. But what the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. In Jesus laying his own life down, nobody took his life. Prophets called God's people to action. This is one of those things that I believe prophets today will do as well. Real prophets today are not just happy prophets. So many are just quick to say, God's going to bless you, give you a million dollars, a caddy, a truck, a house, everything you ever wanted. You're amazing, you're awesome, nothing bad with you. That's not true. (laughs) There's a lot of good things that God wants to say about us and our future, but God also in his love and his mercy, will call us out. Now, I'm not suggesting that New Testament prophecy needs to be calling out our sin publicly, personally, specifically, so that we're embarrassed in front of people. But have you ever felt that when somebody is preaching the word of God and somebody begins to speak, and it's like God is speaking through them and your heart just goes like this, and there's something needing to respond in your heart because the prophetic is coming through that person and God is calling his people to action. Maybe it's not even his people in those instances, but intending that they would become his people. You ever had the heart pumping moment under that anointing? Oh yeah. I've been in environments where people hit the floor because the fear of God was so strong, nobody wanted to lift their head. Serious. We all, we long for those days, not just in the church building, but everywhere that we would go where we would sit next to somebody on a bus or a cubicle or push a shopping cart in the store, aisle 11, and people sense the love of God, the conviction of God when we're just around. Why? Because we are so full of God's spirit in our lives. 
not as some wacky thing, but in reality, like there's something that God wants to bring back, I think, to the church that isn't entirely presented in the Old Testament prophet, but something that we can glean that transfers over into the new covenant that has to do with God's prophets, God's spokesmen, now men and women, right? Young and old, men and women, even on my bond servants, they shall prophesy. God is calling his people to attention, I believe. God is calling his people to his word. I don't know what the world's doing, but I know what the word says. And I believe that God is capable of releasing the conviction into our hearts to stand up and respond to the holy word of God and see the results that the word says. I believe that. I'm not all the way there. I'm just one of you and you're one of me. That's what we are together. I'm just saying what I think is true. But we're in this together. And I, I believe, I, I want to I close by saying this. I've said a lot of things about Old Testament prophets, but I started opening up something, and I didn't mean to. But you felt it, and I am concerned about where charismatic ministry is going. But something we cannot do is allow the excess and the baggage of what some are doing steal the authentic that the word speaks about. That I will not allow. Because a person that's a bad example, doing something the wrong way, cannot take from us the truth of doing it God's way. We cannot allow that. So we need God to restore the gifts of the Spirit. We need God to restore the power of the Holy Spirit. We need God to restore to us a theology that's so strong that we stand on it, that people that come around us, people come into our home, people come around our church, people come around our family, and they can hear the word of the Lord, and they sense it from our lives. We are directed by the Holy Spirit. Hey, let's pray about that. Let's get a word from the Lord about that. Let's listen to the Holy Spirit. That's got to be restored back to the church, don't you think? And what a better time to do it than this last six months. I don't know how to feel. I don't know what to think. I don't know what's going to happen. But you know what we do? We, what we do know? We know God knows. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.